Hello, I'm Adam and welcome to Obscurios, the RetroTube spin-off podcast in which I talk to a guest about some of the less well-known corners of archive television. We have our first transatlantic guest today. It's Canadian author and Blake Seven and the Prisoner fan, Shannon Fay. Hello, Shannon. What top secret things are you working on at the moment? Hello, Adam. Well, obviously, if they're top secret, I, I can't tell you and the listeners of RetroTube. Dang. But I guess I am currently doing copy edits on my book, Innate Magic, which will be out this fall. And if you like old-timey British stuff, uh, you'd probably like this book. So please check it out. When it's released, we'll publicise it a little bit more. Maybe even have you back on if you behave. I'll tr- <laughs> oh no, oh boy, oh, the stakes are high now. <laughs> so are you working on any short fiction at the moment or anything like that? Or anything published? Yeah, I've had some short stories recently published. Um, with the pandemic, I've really been interested in stories you can tell by mail, but it's tough because I can only really share them with friends because uh, strangers aren't keen to give you their mailing address, right? <laughs> no, this is true. But it's, it's a fun project, so maybe, Adam, you'll get something in your mailbox. Ooh, wow. That's something to look forward to. Exciting, yeah. So, the thing we're looking at today isn't super obscure. I'm sure lots of people will remember enjoying this when it was shown on the BBC between 1981 and 1987. It's Nicholas Spargo's animated classic Willow the Wisp. Is this something you'd ever come across before? No. And um, in preparation for this show, I was trying to think of good things we could chat about. And so I asked another uh, British friend, my friend Asha, what she had enjoyed when she was younger. And one of the things she mentioned was this show. So I looked it up and found it quite charming. I had not heard of it before. Though I suppose it did, in my research, I found that it had aired on several Canadian TV television channels, but just uh, missed me somehow. So it is obscure to me. It's difficult to tell how well-known a lot of these things are if you grew up with them and whether they permeated outside of your age group. Yeah. Because there are certain things that everyone's heard of and everyone knows, and even if you didn't grow up watching it, people know about the Avengers or the Prisoner or that kind of thing. Well, this is a more recent example, but once I was talking to some uh, British people my age... And we found out we had both we had all watched Around the Twist, an Australian children's TV show from the nineties. Yes, I remember it. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes there's an overlap, especially you know a bit of a, a bit of a Commonwealth sharing, I think, going on. Right. We got a few Canadian shows as well. We got The Littlest Hobo, which I only found out recently, I think, through you that that it's Canadian. Yeah, I just it was American. <laughs> Nope, definitely part of, part of our um, uh, history here. So, and we got relentless glum fest, Degrassi Street. Yeah, I never got into Degrassi. It was a little too. I always thought of it as like the worst case scenario show, right? <laughs> <laughs> so a little much for me that was one we did specifically know was canadian and i do remember it being quite bleak yeah it's very snowy and quite moralizing but not necessarily with the sugar-coated 
happy outcomes yeah. that you'd expect from like the the American high school shows. I guess a lot of people liked it because of its say earnestness and not being all that glamorous or maybe a, a bit more down to earth might be the wrong word, but not like a bunch of handsome and beautiful 30-year-olds playing teenagers, you know? (laughs) playing teenagers, yes. Yes, they seemed like real people, which is good. So it wasn't quite as grotty and grungy as Grange Hill. It was a bit more, it was a bit bit sweeter than that. I have not watched Grange Hill. Would you recommend it? (laughs) Uh, That might be a different conversation. It's it's actually very different. It's not. It, it doesn't have the cute little capsule stories of somebody learning a valuable life mm. lesson. It is much more just look at the antics of these cockney ah, kids. Ah, interesting. Or I think they're no, I think they're North London. I think Grange Hill's North London. But anyway, Willow the Wisp. We watched three episodes. Yes, of this. so a grand total of fifteen minutes, right? <laughs> Yes, yeah, they are little, often under five minute yeah. little things. Uh, and they managed to cram quite a lot in. So we watched The Chrysalis, The Thoughts of Moog, and Cats and Dogs. So yeah, what what's your thoughts? Yeah, well, like I said, so my friend recommended this and I looked it up and Cats and Dogs was the first one I watched, right? Uh-huh. And if I had watched maybe the other two episodes, I might have been like, oh, this is cute, but is there much to discuss? Yes. But I love cats and dogs, and I have been showing it to almost everyone in my social circle (laughs) (laughs) in the last week, right? (laughs) It's very strange, isn't it? Yeah, but so charming. So cute. And like, I do like the other episodes as well. Just a very whimsical funny clever uh yeah i liked it a lot what's the premise of cats and dogs cats and dogs um uh, we get willow the wisp our titular narrator telling us that it's been a lovely summer a summer that doesn't look like it's going to come to an end as commented on by mavis the fairy as talking to her pal arthur the caterpillar but then edna the evil witch who's shaped like a TV. You know, she's not so keen about the weatherman predicting these spells. She just likes to spoil everyone's fun, doesn't she? Yes. Spiteful. (laughs) So she makes it rain cats and dogs, quite literally. Quite literally. Yes. And uh, there's already a cat and dog in this magical forest. Moog, a dog, and Car Wash, the cat. Meanwhile, the cat called Car Wash and the Moog, who is a sort of dog, were hurrying home to shelter. So suddenly there's all these car washes and moogs running around, <laughs> causing chaos. Mavis the fairy has her to use her magic and can thankfully just make them all go away. But Edna is not pleased about this, which leads to quite the uh, dramatic ending. A cat called Car Wash and the moog, who is sort of a dog. Yeah, leaving it quite open-ended, you know? Yes. <laughs> is he a dog or... Or is he his own thing, right? Is He's he... his own thing, yeah. He's kind of a bit of a pug. Maybe he is unique. <laughs> yeah, right? For the purpose of reigning cats and dogs, he'll do as a dog. Yes. And the cat called Car Wash, who is this kind of blue, very thin, bespectacled cat who talks like Noel Coward. Moog, said Car Wash tartly. I find your irksome and ridiculous gait impeding my homeward progress. Kindly hurry, otherwise I shall be caught in the approaching storm. A reference I'm sure kids just loved, you know? (laughs) Yes, I certainly had no idea at the time that this was a Noel Coward impersonation. (laughs) 
But that's all right. You know, he's funny enough on his own. A, a snooty cat is a fine archetype, right? Exactly. And yes. like how he manages to be snooty even when self-deprecating, right? Yes. Car wash. Didn't you see Dad? Or Dad? No, my eyes are not first class, you know. We, we should probably talk a bit about the titular hero and, in fact, the, the setup for the whole cartoon, really. Yeah. This is a question. Is Willow the Wisp a known phrase in Canada or is this just a British thing? Um, let's think here. Not exactly, no. I think mostly my associations would honestly be more fantastical than real, right? Even though I know it's a real-life phenomenon. I think that's the same as here, actually, that Will-o'-the-Wisp is kind of like a folkloric creature who's this kind of glowing being. And Wisp apparently comes, even though we we have Wisp mean like wispy and it's like misty or cloudy or like a wispy beard or that kind of thing apparently it came from bundle of sticks originally and it was to do with more to do with fire and it was it is willow the wisp literally means william of the wisp william of the bundle of burning sticks oh so it was a it was was a natural phosphorescing gas phenomenon and it was people back then attributed it to being some kind of sprite or folkloric character like that. Interesting. I think when Willow the Wisp came out, I was certainly aware that it was based on this idea of a sprite-like being, which he is. So I guess the the titular Willow the Wisp, he predates this show, right? He does, yeah. Where you're like, oh, it's that, you know, it's that beloved character from that PSA or that ad or whatever he had featured in. No. (laughs) No, this is entirely news to me, and it probably will be news to a lot of listeners as well, that the character originally appeared in a 1975 short called Natural Gas, Mm. which I couldn't find. I looked and looked. I couldn't find it online to watch. I did a cursory look as well. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. If you find it, please send it to me. I'll do likewise, right? People <laughs> yes. on Twitter, let's let's utilize the internet. <laughs> please find us, this 1971 short or whatever. Yeah, so it appears to be like an educational film about how gas is harvested and brought to us to make gas to fuel our homes. And the narrator for that is... I don't know if his name was Willow the Wisp in that, but it's the same design and it's the same voice. It's Kenneth Williams. There's another question. Is Kenneth Williams a known quantity in Canada? Oh, no, no. I I had to look this guy up because I was like, wow, what a talented individual right he's essentially a he's a national treasure here really oh yeah i would say rightly so based on my small exposure to him (laughs) so yeah Yeah, that's interesting that he's not really made it beyond the shores he's largely known for the carry-on films well let me you know i hate to break this to you but the carry-on films are not widely known nor beloved (laughs) (laughs) outside of england it's a very distinctive style of humor not everyone appreciates. <laughs> yeah, so. but he he was on TV a lot. He did a lot of Jack and Ori, which was the um, the kids show where they get into celebrity to read a storybook. Oh, cute! So it, was, it would be serialized across the five days of the week, and you tune in for ten fifteen minutes every day, and you get a bit more of the story. So Kenneth Williams was quite regular on this. Then he remembered the pair of lions which had been sent to him as presents. And he decided to use these fierce brutes to rid himself of Rosalba. Close to his castle was an arena where the king watched ferocious sports like bull baiting and rat catching. The inhabitants of the city flocked 
to see this poor young lady gobbled up by two wild beasts. I see. He'd yeah. crop up in a lots of lots of things. So he'd be on talk shows and he was a very good guest. He was a big raconteur. Mm. He had a slot on Tomorrow's World, which is like a technology programme. And he was drafted in as like a guest presenter for that for a bit. So he's somebody you just would see a lot and kind of took him for granted a bit. And he died, he died in the late 80s. And he's one of those people you, you sort of looking back it's like wow the the legendary yeah, Kenneth Williams yeah. but, but at the time he was so ubiquitous that you did take him for granted a little bit I did look him up on Wikipedia I partly I had seen a YouTube comment on one of the episodes we watched where the commenter said oh Kenneth Williams he brought joy to so many too bad he had such a sad life right because mm. I guess he suffered from depression um, a closeted gay man, right? You know? So, yeah, it's, it's a sad story and it's sad how often you hear it, you know? It is. And it was one of the famous things about the Carry On films because there was a, a specific Carry On mm. team. It had lots of the big British actors of the day, but people will generally know the central Carry On team. And one of the sort of things of that is that that's quite sort of a dark story behind a lot of them. So you'd get Charles mm. Hawtrey and Sid James and people like that who had uh, quite a, should we say, yeah. a checkered life. Yeah, but it's one of those where when you watch work that they do, I try to draw comfort from the idea that they wanted you to be happy, at least while experiencing this thing they were working on, that they put this out into the world to bring joy and it doesn't solve all the problems of the world or anything like that for, for a little bit. It lessens them. Yeah, I think so. And it, uh, he certainly enjoyed a lot of popularity. He was never somebody who dipped off the radar particularly as, as as sort of ending up forgotten and that kind of thing. He was always somebody. He was always somebody who was regularly employed and present, and people would enjoy listening to him. So he didn't have that kind of arc. I think he he. It was more that he had his own demons yeah. that throughout his life he'd be battling. So we wouldn't want to paint his story as totally tragic. No, no, that w- yeah, that wouldn't be fair. And because he was very successful as well, but he had a lot to he had a lot to be, battle with. Obviously, like considerable talent, and like you said, being in demand, yeah, is something to appreciate. Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the interesting things about Willow the Wisp is that. He wasn't really known as being a voice man in wow. terms of doing different voices. Wow! He's mostly remembered for his Kenneth Williams voice, which is so distinctive as it is, and, and, and which is essentially Willow the Wisp. Oh, voices. that's something I was wondering. I was wondering if there was a voice that was just him, and if it was Willow. Yeah. Yes, Willow's the closest to Kenneth Williams, and also it's designed to look like him, which is right. Oh, sweet. that is cute. Yeah. Even as a child watching it, we knew it was Kenneth Williams, and that's what Kenneth Williams looked like. It's the man off the telly. Yeah. He did Jack and Nori a lot, so we were, even as children recognize, we were really familiar with yeah. him, and yeah, and so the whole thing was 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 based around him. Here's something I, speaking of kind of personification in Will of the Wisp, mm. which character do you relate to the most? <laughs> oh, um, I like Mavis Cruet. I think. Ah. That's a good answer. Yeah, yeah, I think being quite well-meaning. Yeah, and sometimes succeeding despite yourself. Eh? Yes, <laughs> so, yeah. so being well-meaning and wanting to make everyone happy and to sort things out uh, and that kind of thing. How about you? Uh, well, I have to relate deeply to Edna, the evil TV. <laughs> <laughs> Because I feel like I often suffer from an abundance of self-confidence. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And can maybe uh, get a bit ahead of myself. 
in Cats and Dogs when her spell to make it rain, Cats and Dogs, is working. She refers to herself in third person to pat herself on the back. She goes, you're a marvel, Edna, right? <laughs> Which you know, I think is, you know, a fun thing, even if you're not named Edna, to say when you're, <laughs> so. when you're doing you're something marvel, good, right? You know? I think she's just lots of fun. And, you know, whenever she's on TV, I'm like, whenever she's on the screen, I'm like, oh yeah, now things are happening, right? <laughs> yes, now we got some action. Yeah. And she ends that episode winning as well that's true i was like is this the last episode of will of the wisp <laughs> is this the Lucky end of not. tv and for everyone <laughs> in general <laughs> yeah it's it, um it ends with she's threatening to make the central characters vanish forever yeah. but mavish kurit who i think is actually generally the main audience identification character yeah very childlike yeah. she's she's saying willow the wisp edna he's everywhere he sees everything we do and then tells everyone about it on their televisions oh he does does he i'll fix his nosy parker game they are it's aware a show that suddenly becomes self-aware they are, they are on a tv show yes, which i always like and i think it's one of those things i liked when i was little when a tv show just deliberately becomes self-aware and references the fact that you're watching it and this is all just a yeah. tv show and it's it's quite it's quite playful and mischievous, mm-hmm. I think. But Edna, you know, so she goes one step further. If <laughs> if she can't uh, disappear the main characters, she'll just ruin everyone's television sets, and with her little antennas, shoot sparks right at the viewers, <laughs> and the screen goes dark. And yeah, it all goes black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Though the there's end. a bit of dialogue just to assure you, I think almost. Or Mavis says, oh dear, the viewers at home will be so bored. And Edna gets the last line, serves them right. (laughs) So yeah, fantastic episode. It crams a lot into four and a half minutes, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it feels very modern, almost, how quick, you know, they cut between... Um, uh, I like using the weather report as to like move the story along. Yes, which is showing on Edna's face. A very packed episode. Lots happens. Lots of twists, not just plot-wise, but on a meta level. Yeah, very, very fun. Yeah, you can do a lot with these little cartoons. I'm currently uh, on my second time through Adventure Time. Oh, fun! Yeah, and that's a- which has 11-minute episodes, and that's a similar thing where. You can get a whole adventure into 11 minutes, including a setup, the adventure, a twist, a payoff, lots of gags. And it's all like, wow, is that 11 minutes? So if you can get the pacing just right, you can really squeeze a lot in and make it feel like a satisfying little story. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about, um, let's see, the chrysalis? Yeah, that was the first one I watched. Um, uh, Do you want to give a summary of it? In fact, one of the things I'll say first before we go into that is uh, what's also interesting is that although it's called Will-O-The-Wisp and Will-O-The-Wisp is the narrator, he very rarely actually features in the stories. Yeah, so it's quite a shock when he does in this one. Yeah, he he crops up in this one. But even I, I even remember at the time that he actually wasn't really one of the characters and it usually was Mavis Cruitt who was the central character or the Moog Mm -hmm. it was generally one of those two who were the main characters and then you got the others as side characters but in this one he does actually turn up this is about Will-O-The-Wisp he's walking through the woods late one evening and he's feeling especially effervescent and he's giving off a glow and he keeps getting buzzed by moths and being a bit alarmed by it 
The main character of this one, though, is Arthur the Caterpillar, who's normally one of the side characters, but he's kind of centralised in this one. He's he's a bit of a, a cockney geezer, which is fun. I'll have you know that moths is one of nature's great triumphs, the ultimate in modern design, the concord of the insect world. Besides, some of my best friends is moths, not to mention relatives. A very deep voice from Kenneth Williams for this character. Yeah, he is really good at disguising his voice. Yeah, out of, I mean, out of all of them, Arthur really, really stands out as something different. John Pertwee always said he was the man of a thousand voices, and the joke is that they all sound like John Pertwee. (laughs) And Kenneth Williams has such a distinctive voice that you would imagine that Kenneth Williams' thousand voices all sounded like Kenneth Williams, but actually they don't really. When you know it's him, you can identify it's him, but he does a really good job of making them distinct and different from each other. When I first show cats and dogs to people, as I... Like I said, I've been subjecting people to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. The first time Mavis talks, there's some chuckles because you're like, you're like, oh, that is the, the guy who was just talking a second ago. Now he's putting on a high-pitched mm-hmm. little girl voice. But as you watch the episode, right, your suspension of disbelief, it, it holds and you just buy into the world of uh, these different mm. voices. Shall I tell you who Mavis Cruitt's voice reminds me of? Yeah. The, the chief blue meanie in Yellow Submarine. Oh! Oh, fun. Nice. They're just moths, Willow, said Mavis Cruitt. Moths who find your light terribly attractive. They're just moths, Willow. That land is a tickle of joy on the blue belly of the universe. It must be scratched. Right, Max? You did cosplay as Paul from... It was a fancy dress, wasn't it? I did. I love the designs from that. And I think it's just, you know, um, I, I think it's another like case of using animation to do cute, clever stuff, pull off jokes. And speaking of Yellow Submarine, while we're on the subject, two of the three animators who worked on these episodes, if I can find their names, also were animators on Yellow Submarine, so it all ties together. Who? Possibly pretty much all British animators at the time were corralled into <laughs> working on this giant project, mind you. <laughs> So there's three named animators working on this. Uh, Ron Murdoch didn't work on Yellow Submarine, but he did animate on the Beatles cartoon, the American one. He did a couple of the musical sequences, and he did some stuff with Charlie Brown and Snoopy. Nice. Mike Pocock and Ted Percival, who are the other two animators, and they are both Yellow Submarine animators. Uh, My thought uh, was whether Ted Percival is a relation to Lance Percival, who played old Fred. Lance Percival. That that has to be a stage name, right? Because when you've got two Arthurian names like that... That's true, unless... I hadn't thought of that. that I'm going to look at see whether it was a stage name yes unless his parents were just really clever very like (laughs) (laughs) so lance percival's full birth name john lancelot blades percival ah they the parents did it to him (laughs) and he did they they he just leaned into it (laughs) he chopped off the john lancelot blades percival that's a fantastic (laughs) name yeah With the production team of Willow the Wisp, I thought it was interesting. I, the background's done by Mary Spargo. I, I hope I'm saying that name right. And she was married to Nick Spargo, the creator of Willow the Wisp. I think in the credits, uh, Trace and Paint, Lynn and Ian Sachs. And I didn't look them up, but I am, assume they're a married couple, a man and a woman, and not say... Maybe it's their next-door neighbours. Maybe. <laughs> it's like, hey, do you mind doing this Maybe. For us? 
But what I appreciate is I feel there have been countless projects in history where women weren't credited partly because they were married to someone working on it. Yeah. And their contributions would have been written off as just helping their husband. So to actually get credit for it, I think it's important. I think so. And I think Mary Spargo's backgrounds are 50% so of beautiful. what makes this as well because they're very atmospheric. Yeah, they're really nice and they have a kind of... Yeah, like a watercolour, very soft, but... Um, yeah, there's, there's that kind of misty, hazy quality to them. But not washed out, right? Which I think, you know, like sometimes with animation, especially older animation, where the backgrounds will be something that the characters don't interact with. It can be too easy for them to be deadened, to be inert. And as a child, you learn pretty early, you're like, oh, they're going to touch that rock because that rock, you know, (laughs) (laughs) stands out and is not part of the background proper. I think they do a good job with the show of when there is incidental stuff, there's enough of it so that it doesn't stand out. And the background and the characters, they do Mm. kind of interact with the backgrounds in pleasing ways, like in Cats and Dogs, with the cats and dogs popping up and down behind the trees. (laughs) Yes. uh Yeah, it's one of those things where in something like Hanna-Barbera, it would be two very distinctive different departments who probably wouldn't be talking to each other. They they wouldn't be communicating at all. They might be in different buildings on the lot or something like this. Get me Forest 37, right? (laughs) Yes. And then Yogi runs through that forest. (laughs) On a loop, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas this is Nicholas and Mary Spargo, so they're probably just using the same kitchen table in their little house. They're able to really coordinate these things. There is a nice artistic vision behind it. It's Mm. one of those where the animation it's fluid enough like it's i i don't think it's um, one of those things where you look at it and you're like oh what disney level fluidity because it's just such a small team but there's the characters are expressive and move right yes it's not one of these things where they just have like three or four frames that they just repeat and that kind of thing i do think it's a very pretty show as well as being funny of the three episodes we watched the chrysalis maybe not my favourite, maybe my least of the favourite of the three. Yeah, I think so. It was a bit more straightforward. It wasn't quite so surreal. It didn't play with expectations and form as much. So yeah, the idea of it is that Arthur the Caterpillar, he people are going, oh, these moths, and he's going, no, moths are amazing. They're they're beautiful. They're the they're the concord of insects. Yeah, the insect world. Yeah. So he decides he's going to pupate, and he builds a chrysalis, but it's it's kind of a big wooden structure, which I like. He doesn't like it's a not tree house. Formed. He builds this big tree house thing, this big wooden tower with a penthouse on top, <laughs> and he and he decides he's going to have a bit of a ziz. And when he wakes up, he'll be a moth. I'd never heard that phrase before, a bit of a zzz. (laughs) (laughs) Very shortly, I shall creep into this penthouse, have a bit of a zzz, and wake up a moth. See, he's got his London vernacular. Have a bit of a zzz. Bish, bash, bosh. Bob's your uncle. Yeah, I see. I see. But does his plan work? It doesn't. He hires some uh, wings and a hat to pretend to be a moth. At which point, Evil Edna turns up again to ruin things. And so he's just posturing at the top of this enormous wooden tower that he's built, pretending it's his his chrysalis. He's going to fly, but he doesn't because I think he just is chickening out a bit. So she, <laughs> Evil Edna, vanishes his chrysalis, leaving him suspended in midair to come crashing to the ground, which is about it, really. <laughs> so it's not... It's yeah, not the there's a bit of an end joke where I'm like, am I missing something that would make me laugh? Because the snail who delivered his package which has the wings 
and hat says that he had only hired it out. He had only rented these clothes and wings, right? Mavis's last line is something like, Oh, poor Arthur. He's nothing but a hired clothes moth or something like that. Yeah, I guess it's... Well, there's two jokes in there and the other joke you probably didn't get as well because I doubt it. it's a company that would have made it all the way over there. He hired those clothes from us. Mothbros. Mossbros is a suit hire company. Uh-huh, I see. I see. <laughs> <laughs> I did laugh at that one, but I imagine that you probably didn't. No, nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> we have the clothes moths, which maybe you don't have as well. Which... Like clothes horse? No. No, they eat clothes. It's the moths okay, that eat, like, all right. holes so in a high... Okay, all right. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's he's a hired clothes. So that's a bit of a laboured joke. I like the moth bros joke more. Even though, like I said, probably my least favourite of the three... It does highlight something I like about the series is that, in general, they're not really about telling a moral. <laughs> not this is no. this isn't Degrassi. <laughs> this is yeah. <laughs> they're just you know just here to entertain you five minutes. That's it. Not not trying to do any higher meaning, which I like. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I think British shows, particularly of that era, maybe generally. I haven't really watched children's shows more recently, but certainly at the time, it wasn't that thing. Where where you would, from the all the American imports, or a lot of the American imports, you it, there would be a moral at the end and they'd be learning a lesson about working together or believing yes. in yourself or being in your, being yourself and not someone else or that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or don't be in a rush to grow up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Whereas in this country, it's more like, here's some daft stuff for five minutes and <laughs> yeah. then it will finish. <laughs> you, you, British philosophy, you know, stuff just happens. <laughs> exactly, <yeah. laughs> Nothing, nothing to be gained from it. Stuff just happens. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think my favorite part of the episode when Edna shows up at three twenty nine. I wrote, then in came the witch, evil Edna. The narration, and uh, I felt like I was cheering the villain in a panto. You know, <laughs> just like, yay, she's here. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those tv shows that hates tv yeah i know what a it's one of the things you you, you would get particularly back then when there's still that idea that like children shouldn't be watching tv they should be reading books or be out playing or that kind of thing so it's it's, it's like the, the tv is the villain even though this is a yeah TV i know show. i always think of like ah oh, you bit the hand that feeds and like the taste <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no explanation of what an evil TV witch is doing in the woods. But no, she's just roaming around making mischief. Classic female dichotomy. You're either the cute woodland fairy <laughs> it's, it's... who you know tries hard to help yeah. everyone, or the evil cackling <laughs> witch. <laughs> yes, we don't quite have. Um the smurfette syndrome here no. but and i can give a little bit kind of a uh, leeway say when you have one guy doing all the voices you know <laughs> but yeah certainly the the smurfette syndrome was rife in british cartoons at the time uh there were almost none that had multiple more than one or possibly two yeah. token female characters and it doesn't matter if they were human female or <laughs> yeah. there was one called the shoe people which i didn't watch but i think my younger sister had it on video and i think all the shoes in that were male apart from the ballet slipper really not even like a pair of stilettos <laughs> there might have been a stiletto as well it was the hobnail boot, which was the police shoe. And I don't remember it. Like I wasn't watching yeah. it, but I remember it being on and and kind of noting that it was a ballet slipper and 
maybe a stiletto, but yeah. the generic characters sure. were all male, sure. and then specifically female characters. Were and that's female, their so main you, trait. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, the, the, they couldn't sort of change the milkman yeah. or you know any of the other characters who are defined by their job. They all had to be male, and the ballet slipper couldn't be male, right? For some reason, why they yeah. Could, yeah, there's lots yeah. of male ballet dancers. Now here's a delightful cottage. Belongs to Margot, the ballerina. Hello, PC Boot. Stopping for tea. Let's chat about the thoughts of Moog. Another quick note. This is set in Doily Wood, which I assumed was just like a cute little name or some kind of mm. joke or just a cutesy thing like a paper. Or an in-joke that we're just not privy to. But actually, no, it's a real place. What? I looked it up. It's 15 miles away from where I'm currently sitting. My goodness, Adam! <laughs> it's in South Oxfordshire. You could go have adventures <laughs> with Mavis and Arthur. Oh. So... I looked it up. You just go to the end of my street, turn left, yeah, carry on going for about 15 miles and you'll end up there. Oh, I can't wait until, you know, the pandemic <laughs> is over. Yeah, we can go on a, oh, <laughs> how on a lovely pilgrimage that will to be. Doily Wood. <laughs> yeah. And I did, with a little bit of uh, internet stalking, identify it as definitely the place that it's named after because yeah how do you know nicholas and mary spargo seem to have lived and operated from henley on thames which is the nearest town i see okay so i think it's one of those things where they their favorite word to go on walks or something like that they also named it after that nice so their their production seems to have been based in henley on thames i'd be very curious to see just how much it resembles the yes. cartoon right yeah. whether anyone nearby knows that this is willow the wisp country i love it we'll we'll stumble across some like teens drinking cider and be like hey kids <laughs> yes. did you know that they said the cartoon show willow the wisp here <laughs> it's probably really grotty there now uh, yeah that's the worry isn't it <laughs> The whole never meet mm. your heroes. Barbed <laughs> wire. <laughs> Those little black bags of dog poo hanging yeah. from branches and things. It's cool, cool like that. But, okay, well, let, let's hold out hope, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the thoughts of Moog, which is the other episode we like, we watched. I really like this one as well. Actually, this one was quite weird, and it, it was being a bit transgressive with the form and quite surreal. Uh, so you, you, can, you can describe this episode. It has such a simple plot in that Moog... A sort of dog is very much front and center. I want to talk about Moog a little bit since he's so... I love his character design. His character design reminds me a lot of something that might have been drawn by Kate Beaton. She's a Canadian cartoonist. Um, um, she's done a lot of... Oh, I know uh, the one you mean. Yes, I know yeah, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, the round eyes, the round body. It reminds me a lot. She did this book. I think it's called, like, The Princess and the Pony. And the pony's this very, like, rounded animal, right? <laughs> so, right, yes. So I, I feel like it reminds me a lot of that. Yes, I, li- I like when Moog's sitting down. He's, he's just... His limbs are actually just halfway when, up. They don't yeah, rest on the Yeah, when ground. he's just, just resting on his belly. Down. It's funny, like, I think in the chrysalis there's a bit where he's like standing at rest and i'm like that's not right you know he should be he should just be on his stomach arms and legs up without able to touch the ground (laughs) so yes so moog is very uh lovable if a bit seemingly soft-hearted and soft-headed i would say of moog right uh unlike the sarcastic car wash he is kind of uh bewildered by the world but good-natured about Mm. it something like 
thinking internal thoughts is quite difficult for the Moog. And that's what this episode is about, the thoughts of Moog. He's not allowed to think. Yeah, it's actually, I guess in a way, he's almost um, maybe the most powerful creature in the woods. (laughs) You know, if he were to ever put this power to use, because his thoughts have a kind of way of manifesting. Early on in the episode, he's just thinking about stuff. Now, one of the nicest of all the small people who live in Doily Woods is the Moog. Not the brightest of animals, perhaps, but a heart of gold. It is thought that he might be some kind of dog, but no one is quite sure. I think I am a doggy. Now that is something he must never do. Think! How well I remember the last time that happened. The Moog had been sitting in the woods for some time, saying to himself, It's not very nice sitting here. Which was because he was sitting on a thistle. Then suddenly, it was a thinks cloud. I think, said the Moog, it was his first thought ever. I think there is a spiky something right underneath me. And before the Moog's poor brain could take a well-deserved rest, up came thought number two. I think I shall. I think I... Oh. Oh, yeah. I think I shall get up, and then I shall move across, and then I shall sit down over there. And I love the animation of him kind of straining to think. Yes. So he's just thinking, and he he idly has a little daydream about a tomato just being thrown at Edna's face. And he's chuckling over that, and Edna shows up. And Moog, who is totally guileless, right? Totally without guile. He says, oh, Edna, I was just thinking about you. With Edna responding, something nice, I hope. And here's where the viewers at home are like, oh, no, (laughs) because he's... (laughs) Because you know Moog is incapable of lying. And he tells her that, no, he was thinking about a tomato being launched at her face, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which I love. I think that could still work as like a kind of a joke in a modern sitcom, right? (laughs) And we get another nice little um, uh, bit of animation as Edna cycles through anger about that before coming up with a crafty plan where she tells Moog that he should think about himself more often, which unfortunately leads to Moog thinking about himself so hard that he gets trapped inside a thought bubble and floats up into the sky. Yes, that's quite surreal. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Where he becomes his own thought of himself. Yeah. He kind of fades from reality and his thought goes into full colour and then suddenly he's trapped inside his own thought balloon, his own thought cloud. Very trippy, eh? You know? <laughs> it's quite, yeah, it's one of those things that you'd get in an American, a more grown-up American cartoon and there'd be lots of wah-wah guitars and people smoking big yeah, boobies and that kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. And going, oh wow man, far out. Yeah. But in this, yeah. it's, just, it's just a quirky, oh, eccentric like, hey, thing Hey man, happened. if we're just our thoughts, what if we think <laughs> yeah. too hard, man? Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of Ralph Bakshi. Yeah, like something from comics with an X, you know? Yes, that kind of thing. Yeah, so what happens though once he's uh, up in the sky? Yes, he's trapped in the, the sky and 
his friends see him up there and he's trapped in the sky with all the other clouds so they need to get him down so they need to get it to rain i can't remember how oh yeah, yeah she casts she a spell magic casts she waves a, a magic wand rain. you know yeah and it works but as often kind of with mavis it doesn't always like pan out perfectly because poor moog then falls from the sky but he lands and we get a good pun from the show because he lands on evil edna <laughs> and says hey i think I'm on television. But um, tish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a good complete little story, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Just a weird little, a weird little diversion. Put your little kids in front of the TV and like, yeah. here's a thing for you to look at. It's a dog <laughs> yeah. that becomes its own thought. It goes into the sky and then it rains itself out onto top of a TV. Yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> this show, it was, because it was five minutes, it would have aired between other stuff, eh? Yeah, so there would always be like a little menu. It's usually starting, I think, it's been a while, but I think probably about five to five going, no, it must, would it be start earlier? It seemed like it stretched on for ages. When I looked up on Wikipedia, that sounds right. Almost like a signaling the end of kind of children's shows. And moving on to news, I think, or something like that. Well, I think it, this would be this would be a bit earlier in the day. So about half past five. So you get the six o'clock news. So you essentially had children's shows from about five to five okay. up to six o'clock. Yeah. Maybe a bit earlier, I can't quite remember. Maybe half past four up to six o'clock. Yeah. But often I would be at school till a certain time, so you get home and come into it partway through often if it took a while to get home Mm, from school the shows would gradually skew a bit older as it went through so the earlier shows would be for younger kids so this would be one of the earlier ones and then you don't then the half past five show would be grange hill or blue peter which was the magazine show which ran since the 50s i think it's still going okay yeah it's been on since the 50s so this would come in somewhere in there between a couple of the larger shows maybe beat the teacher maybe it's before beat the teacher so something that lasts for like 25 30 minutes it would come yeah. before that i reckon probably i would have to dig out an old radio yeah. listing an old tv guide to see exactly where it fit in exactly yes we should also talk about the music as well the music's quite a distinctive part that's of true it. yeah a very cheery themed tune yeah what i like about it is that it's not overtly zany and saying Here's a funny show. This is going to be wacky and wild. Yeah. It's more kind of just pretty and delicate and jolly. Yeah, which I think, you know, fits the... Uh, for five minutes, and they do pack a lot in, but they can also seem a little languid. Yes. So something that's too higher energy for an opening, <laughs> right, yeah. might be uh, misleading. <laughs> rather rather than a will-o'-wisp, you know, going through the forest. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it pitched the energy quite right. It's charming, but not wacky and zany. A lot of kids cartoons of that era had a slightly mournful quality to them you've got Gideon mm. who was a um, swan oh, okay, think, yeah. or a goose like a long necked duck like animal anyway and that had quite a, a mournful theme tune which would make uh-huh. you feel a bit sad oh boy i think that was a french show okay yeah and at the other end of the scale you get something like chalton and the wheelies which had a much more overtly comic yeah. This is fun. We can have a great time. And it's it's one of the classics, actually, the Chilton and the Wheelie theme tune. It is a really good one. And it does set the tone for that quite well. But th- but that's a much more frantic show than this one. It's a bit more kinetic. And I think there is a, t- a talent in pitching the theme tune exactly right. Yeah, it's like, do you want uh, the kids to be excited or do you want them to be relaxed and receptive, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. This is nice and down, down the middle. And, and 
charming. It's it's a sweet theme tune. It's by Tony Kinsey, who was a jazz drummer. I think he's actually still around. Oh, he's in his nineties. Nice. He's a jazz drummer and composer. He did the Miss World theme. His stuff is usually a lot more showbiz. Right. A lot of his well-known things. I was, I was looking him up. He did a lot of library music. So ones like Miss World, Star Prizes, and Star Parade were other ones that he'd done, which turns up in things like Ren and Stimpy huh. and SpongeBob okay, all right. Just as kind of very showbizy sounding. If they want to do kind of like a sarcastic showbiz thing, they'd often use a lot of Tony Kinsey. I wonder how he got uh, involved with this show. Yeah, whether it was they just used some library music as well it was possibly just from the, the Tony right. Kinsey collection a lot of the theme tunes at the time I think there were three three sets of theme tunes three three ways of doing theme tunes it either had the bespoke one like mm-hmm. Chilton the Wheelies where it's an actual song or piece of music written for it it would often be about the show or it would just be specifically for it or you could pull something from the music library so it would just be something that seemed suitable and fitting and a lot of the sports shows had that kind of library music or you'd get something off a record so a lot of them used prog rock music focus would turn up a lot and mike oldfield would turn up Mm -hmm. a lot and these things the famous ones like the formula one theme tune was the instrumental break from the chain by fleetwood mac oh great song yeah which in this country just evoke for a certain Just generation like a of people formula. just evokes Formula One. You can just hear Murray Walker's voice, and you can see the cars going around Monaco. If you hear that bass line, so it's quite, it's quite good how they sort of tie in. And a lot of these theme tunes, you can't if you hear them as isolated pieces of music. Yeah. Particularly the sports ones, you can't really separate them. All of these things would have its own bolted-on theme tune. <laughs> right, that's the music for Snooker. <laughs> now off you go forever. So that's um, that's Willow the Wisp. You had a little view of early 80s children's mm-hmm. cartoons there. You watched this show before as a child, but now as an adult, do you think you're going to seek out more episodes? I think I would watch it again, yeah. I think that it seems to be something that's not super easy to find online. I, I would watch more, and I recently have found someone who has uploaded more onto YouTube. So once I found that, I was oh, really? like, oh. And I, I had to hold back, <laughs> honestly, from watching more before recording this because i really wanted to discuss the three episodes we watched right yeah they're only five yeah, minutes exactly. so i could do- definitely see like as a little treat you know <laughs> i'll watch a, yeah, I'll watch daily a little willow the wisp and i'll go to the animated <laughs> doily woods just for a spell right <laughs> exactly yes do you think you might seek out more Kenneth Williams? I'm a bit intimidated because i'm like well if he's had <laughs> such a long prolific career where would I even start? And I don't want to watch the Carry On films. No, so. I mean, that's quite understandable. They're, they're a big fixture and people of my generation, my interests are quite into them. But I never I never connected with the Carry On films. It's, it's not quite my sense of humour. There's the classic gags like Infamy, Infamy, They've All Got to Infamy, which is one of his, mm. or one of the ones that he delivers. Nice, nice. And, and obviously yeah. I did it justice there, of course. <laughs> Yeah. Whoa, whoa, is Kenneth Williams in your room? <laughs> infamy! Infamy! They've all got it in for me! But I, yeah, I've never quite won for that sort of bawdy English seaside postcard yeah. type of humour. 
But I think Kenneth Williams is always worth watching. He's always a high point in any of these films. And and actually, the early black and white ones aren't so bawdy and daft. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, yes. Before before everyone got into the carry-on films, there was some merit to them. Oh, then they became so mainstream. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're a bit more like Ealing comedies, the older black and white ones. They're a bit more sort of charming knockabout romps in the Ealing style rather than being about bawdy puns and smutty jokes and pinching ladies' bottoms and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and bras flying off or sort of sniggering at bosoms. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we've covered well uh, yeah, the Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm glad I had a chance to discover it, even though decades after the fact, right? Yes. And we probably had more fun watching that than we would have had watching Star Lost, which yeah, was our the other choice. the other option. I was looking for obscure Canadian shows, but whew, that, looked, that looked painful. It was one of those where you're like, this needs to either be a lot better or a lot worse, you know. <laughs> it, it looked too boring to be fun. Yeah, yeah, and too bad to be good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it's also one of those where you're always looking for buried treasure. But some things should just stay buried, right? I think so, yeah. yes. You just keep digging and keep digging yeah. and there's nothing under the X. Right, uh, well, thank you for coming on. Yes. It's been lovely chatting to you. Yes, good chatting to you too. Yeah, we shall have to have you back when your book's out so we can make this a, a proper podcast right. where somebody comes on to plug proper a thing promo- specifically. Promotion. I was thinking I'm just going to become like a chicken going book, 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 you know, right? <laughs> Yeah, you'll be doing the you'll be doing the press junket. Exactly. You'll be on Graham Norton. <laughs> you'll be on the sofa between Reese Witherspoon yeah, and Stephen yeah, Fry. Yeah. And, uh, right. Well, thank you for coming on, and thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch, uh, as is normally the way, I've forgotten to write down what our contact details here are because Heather always does that bit. Uh, I know that we are retro underscore tube on Twitter. Can I plug my Twitter? So where can we find you, Shannon? Sure. So I'm on Twitter, Shannon, and then L as in lemon, F-A-Y. So Shannon L. Faye. That's how you can find me on Twitter. Is it your, your middle name's really Lemon. No, no. I'm not going to say what my middle name is. <laughs> it, it's Llama, all right? It's Llama. Fine. <laughs> it's always Louise. Anyone <laughs> whose middle initial is L is always Louise. <laughs> I actually don't know what your middle name is, so it could well be Louise. <laughs> and well you've just you. blown my... Blown your cover. Yeah, yeah. That's that? Uh, I never. I don't know how to... All right, you know what? I'm just going to hit <laughs> stop recording. <laughs> so you hit stop recording, and uh, yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Have a good one, and keep watching the shows. Oh, I... <laughs> 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 <laughs>